0: Centuries ago, society came to a pivotal moment. Like today, mankind had drifted from purpose to self-indulgence. The times were dark, so dark, that God himself intervened. He sent light light to expel the darkness he sent love to replace the selfishness he sent forgiveness to restore relationships he sent his son for one brief instant together in this arena we traveled back through time for a glimpse of how it might have been join one woodworker Preparing a rough-hewn cross for a falsely accused carpenter. He is creating the tool that God would use to roll back the darkness, to defeat the power of death, to restore life forever.
1: Make another one in a hurry. They said. Got to have it today goes up with the two thieves from Hebron. Barbarians they are. Scum of the earth barbarians. A life sentence in their smelling dungeons would be better than this torturous death. I swear by Julius Caesar they ain't a worse way to die. Jesus they call this man. Everything's been different since he stepped into this country too, maybe three years back. And now they're nailing him to a Roman cross. And even this has to be different. He claims to be God. That's a mouthful when a man makes himself out to be God. We have no God in my homeland of Rome but Tiberius Caesar and everybody but him knows that he ain't no God. Jesus. I'll never forget the look on my sister's face the day she went to see this man Jesus teach by the sea of Tiberius, maybe a two, three day walk to the north. And I will never forget... The the look in her eye, when she returned from watching Him teach, you'd have thought she'd seen God. And the words that she told me that He spoke, He spoke words, she said, like no other man. He spoke words like a man under authority. He spoke words, He spoke words like a man who believed He was God. And the words that she told me He spoke, I will never forget those words. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, wherever, whatever heaven is supposed to be. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I ask you how a man is supposed to see a God whom you cannot see said, Blessed were the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And I don't even know my own father. How am I supposed to know what it means to be the son of God? I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Hebrew. But I've watched these magnificent people for 20 years and they actually believe, these Hebrew people actually believe if there is a God. And according to their Hebrew beliefs, every year, every year this same week, they bring their lambs into their temple through that gate and across this city where those lambs are examined by their high priest. And if that priest finds those lambs to be spotless and unblemished, he sacrifices those lambs and the blood of those lambs will forgive their sins for a whole year. This man Jesus, he claims to be the lamb of God, the human lamb of God, to sacrifice himself for the sins of the whole entire world. Do I believe that? Do I believe that he's a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world? I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. I'd like to believe that. Because if it's not true, and there is a God out of the gutter in Rome that I live, I suppose I would be headed straight for hell. But if it is true, if what this man claims to be is true... And maybe even I Maybe even I Maybe even a Roman cross builder Maybe even I have hope <laughs> and I will tell you this If you promise not to laugh Or tell anybody that I told you so But this man Jesus He claims that he will be alive In three days After dying on this Roman cross And I will tell you that no man survives a Roman cross. It is painful and it is slow. But it is sure death. According to Roman law, two Roman coroners will examine His lifeless body after He's been dragged down off this cross. And they will sign His death certificate. And if they're incorrect in their assessment of His death, according to Roman law, they'll be crucified for their mistake. (coughs) So he'll be dead. But Friday, Saturday, <coughs> and Sunday. <coughs> this man claims that he will be alive on Sunday. And if he's not alive, and he stays in that tomb, you will never hear his story again. He'll be erased from history just like all the rest. But if he's alive on Sunday, and this is a story that this world will never forget. So, I don't know about you, but I'll be around on Sunday because I'm going to watch in my eyes to see if he's real or if he's a fraud, just like all the rest. I'll be around on Sunday. I will be around on Sunday. Well, end of drama, but not end of story. And you know, you would think in your rational mind, University, today, after a man is going through three to five trials, illegal as they were, stripped to the waist, having a crown of thorns beat in a man's head in a mockery of a trial, stripped to the waist, receiving the Roman flogging, the most feared torture that mankind has ever invented, torture that was designed to take the skin off a man's back and off of his face and off his chest. Literally, it would make a man unrecognizable to his followers and put fear in their hearts that they would run and flee his name forever. And then to be stripped completely in the humiliation of the Roman cross, dragged up on a cross on top of a hill so awful even it was called the skull then having Roman blacksmith spikes driven in his hands and his feet and literally hung for vultures. You would think in your rational mind that that would have been the end of the one Jesus, the carpenter's son from Nazareth. You'd think it'd be the end. But honestly, to the surprise and the utter disappointment of the tens of thousands of cynics and critics who sought to bury this man and everything he stood for and said afterwards, it wasn't the end. It wasn't again to the Nietzsche's and Voltaire's and Darwin's and Lenin and Marx's and Stalin's and the others who've given their lives to bury everything about him and all of his followers killed. You would think it would have been the end. For men and women, it was the beginning according to history and archaeology. And people who studied people groups and movements of religions through the centuries, they say from every religion in the world with an open mind, it was the absolute, most singular, gravitous day in all of human history. Our missionary friends today tell us around this world that every single day, 176,000 new followers of Christ baptized in some pool, some pond, some lake, some river, some church around this world... Every day in Russia, today and tomorrow, twenty-six thousand new followers of Christ in China. Friends of mine, missionaries, come back and tell me there's hundred and fifty million first-generation Christians in China today, mostly since 1950, 1955, claiming the name of Christ for the first time. In South America, twenty to twenty-five thousand in Africa, over twenty thousand every single day. It wasn't the end, was it? Crazy! It wasn't the end. It was the beginning. And I couldn't even begin to come before anybody here in this great church and tell you anything that you hadn't heard before, and I won't attempt to do that. But i got a hero who can. He's an older gentleman, Dr. S.M. Lockridge, an old urban pastor that I admire so much. And one Sunday morning, old Dr. Lockridge considered this cross, and he got in front of his urban congregation. That dear, humble pastor looked at his, looked at his friends, and he said, I'm going to tell you about my king. He said, My king, why, he's a seven way king. You see, he's the king of the Jews. That's a mighty king. He's the king of Israel. That's a a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the old pastor said, I wonder, I wonder, do you know him? Well, he said, my king is the greatest phenomenon to ever cross the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's matchless. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the core, the foundation of true religion and true spirituality because he's he. Yes, He is. And He's the superlative of everything good you choose to call Him. And He's the only one qualified to be the all-sufficient Savior. And I wonder, the pastor said, I wonder, do you know Him? Well, he said, my King, He sympathizes and He saves. He supplies strength to the weak. He gives sufficient grace to the tempted and the tired. He heals the sick. the leper. He forgives the sinner. He discharges the debtor. He defends the captive. He blesses the young. He regards the unfortunate. He beautifies the meek. Well, he said, my king is the key. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway to deliverance. He's the pathway to peace. He's roadway to righteousness he's the highway to holiness he's the gateway to glory well he said my king his light is matchless his goodness is limitless his mercy is everlasting his love is unchanging his word is enough his grace is sufficient his burden is easy his yoke is light." i wish i could describe him to you today but i can't he's indescribable yes Yes, He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get Him out of your mind. You can't get Him off your hands. You can't outthink Him. You can't outlive Him. You can't outlast Him. And you can't live without Him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand Him, but they found they couldn't stop Him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in Him. Herod couldn't kill Him. Death couldn't handle Him. And the grave couldn't hold Him. That's my King. Yes, 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 that's my King. Because Thine is the Kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever. And when you're through with all the forevers, then Amen. Amen. That's my King. My God. My God Almighty, You are my King. Amen and amen. As awesome as that is. I I don't know about you all, I didn't get it. Growing up in Texas and playing football and this fraternity life and going Saturday after Saturday around the country playing crazy sport of football. I, I missed it. I didn't get it. I don't think I got it till till I was a daddy and I had a boy of my own and I saw a different person on that cross. I saw somebody on that cross that I'd never seen before. Yeah, he was God on that cross. But I saw a dad on that cross. I saw a dad with a cross in the middle of his back. I saw a dad that loved his kids so much. His dad's heart broke on that cross that day. Like my little friend who came to me for counseling down at the University of Arkansas goes to party takes a drink some drug had been slipped into that precious freshman's drink and gosh, she wakes up the next morning in a pool of her own blood after being raped three t- times during the night and so many other students that I've grown to talk to and love through the years and he came for that little girl man he came for that girl because he's daddy's heart for girls because I know as a pop of two daughters how much a daddy loves his little girls when they're they're hurting and broken he came for that little girl and even the guys who took that girl to that scene that night because even as they nail the nails into his hands for all of us who struggle and fallen and put ourselves to sleep on tear-stained pillows Saturday night after Saturday night he cries on our behalf to God Father, forgive these men, for they know not what they do. And then the eyewitness accounts say there was a guy crucified beside him. We just call him a thief in history. Probably some fatherless guy like me and so many of us in this this building this morning. And this guy is out trying to gain his father's approval that he can never seem to attain. And now he's dying in a pool of his own failure. But before he dies, he places tiny seed of faith it's all that he has left in the heart of the only one he believes can save him and the thief cries out jesus he cries could you remember me jesus when you come into your kingdom could you remember even me his heart is crying and christ's heart his father's heart just breaks for the sky and he adopts him into his heart he says yes Yes, he says today you shall be with me in paradise, almost as if to say you're my son now. You're going home with me tonight when this crazy ordeal on this planet is over. And then the prophet Isaiah, you all, 700 years before he was crucified, prophesying of the day that would come, says that every sin that I've ever committed, every sin, every creepy crawly thing that you i have ever done against the holiness of God lands on the shoulder blades and it crushes him the weight of the sin of me and of you just crushes him separates his shoulders and he dies according to Galatians 3 a curse now he looks up for his father to find his father's face for comfort but his father still holy has pulled back and turned his head from Jesus and Christ cries, My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? Almost as if the crowd died. Where's my dad? As he dies, he cries out, Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? And then the eyewitnesses account again that before he dies, He has one more legal act to accomplish. And Paul picks it up in Colossians in the third chapter. And he says that having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Your certificate of debt, my certificate of debt, lengthy, probably stacks of volumes of debt against the Holy God for all the sins, countless sins, through the years. And He takes your debt, anybody like me that's ever struggled with doubt or failure or guilt, as you look back at it, and He claims that debt, the entire debt, men and women, and He takes it in those bleeding hands of His, those manly, bleeding hands of his and he claims your entire debt and he cries out in the original language of the day in the Aramaic Tetelestai which is a, a jailer's term for paid in full the term means paid in full your debt he is saying As a dad can only claim his son or his daughter can, and I know with four kids of my own, the raging love that a daddy has for his kids. And he claims your dad, he takes your dad, he owns your dad, he dies with your dad, and he nails it to the cross. That's why Psalms 32 that I've been kind of just loving on lately in my quiet time says he not only forgives your sin but he forgives the guilt of your sin that that little fourteen-year-old girl that back there in your past that failed you that that seventeen-year-old boy if sometimes you look back at it and you go how did i ever get there how did i ever do that he looks back at that and he just completely restores that boy he completely brings purity to that girl that little girl who's growing up inside of you today And He makes her completely virgin pure, and He cries, it's paid in full. I just want you to know that I paid it all. You don't have any guilt. There's no more debt to worry about. It's gone. You're my little girl now. You're my boy now. And you know, as true as that is, you guys, that meant a lot to me. I needed that as I kind of grew up a little bit. But uh, it never meant everything to me. I don't know how you do with that, but... For me, it just never meant everything. There was a lot of distractions. But a few summers ago, I was up training my son. I'm a football coach, and I was training my son. Uh up on the football field at our summer camps and he was going to go play college ball in chicago and he'd asked me to coach him and kind of train him and man it was the most thrilling time of my life he was eighteen and i was putting that final touch on him before he went to report for two-a-day practices and we had been running forty sprints together every day and just having the best time you can imagine but i was bruising those days i had these big old ugly bruises on the backs of my legs and I never bruised that much playing ball, and I didn't know why I was bruising. So I went to the doctor, took a blood test, and now the the camp doctor walks up on the field. He happened to be a cancer specialist, and he he walks up on the field with my blood test, and his face is ashen, and he takes me down to his car, and he says, "Joe," he goes, and he starts breaking up, and he goes, he goes, "You've got," uh, he goes, "You've got leukemia, man. You've got cancer," and uh. I wish I had time to talk about my little Debbie Jo. I've been married to to my little homecoming queen for 34 years. She was the cheerleader for our college team down in Texas. and I just love her. I love her more today than I've ever loved her in my life. I mean, every day I just fall more in love with this godly girl. And now I've got to go tell her I'm ditching her. And I just run for Cooper, and I throw myself into his arms. And I go, Coop, Pops has got cancer, man. I've got leukemia. And I felt like y'all, I was cheating him. Because he wanted me to be at his games. He wanted me to be at his wedding someday. And and uh, and he said, Dad, have you told Mom? And I said, Coop, I can't tell Debbie Joe, Man, I don't know how to talk to her about this. He said, Dad, you got to tell Mom. So I made my way to our little house, and I just found my little princess. And, you know, I just said, Baby, I'm... I've got leukemia. You know, I'm sorry. And we just kind of fell on the floor there and just started crying together. It was just so sudden. It was just awful. And then we went up to Mayo Clinic, this fabulous clinic in Rochester. And the doctors were great. I had this great Ethiopian doctor. And he just said, You need to go home and pack your bags. He goes, You need to kind of go, you know, get your house in order. So we went across the street that night. And Debbie Joe and I prayed together. And then she was went off to sleep and I was just kind of on my knees on the floor there just just crying and I don't know what it'll be like for you all when you kind of get that word from the doctor but but I didn't feel like a pity party or why me or any of that junk I just wanted to know that he would be there because it was just kind of getting black around me and dark and I just asked him I said God will you be there you know when I when I cross over you know and go off the back of this little platform called life will you be there I just needed a daddy. And you guys, I closed my eyes and so helped me. He just slipped into this just the perfect picture of my mind as a dad. And it was obviously Jesus that day. And, and it was like I was a little five-year-old kid that had fallen on the field before I could get to the end zone. And I'd fallen, I'd scrape my elbows and my knees, and I was bleeding, and I just couldn't get into the end zone. And he scoops me up into his arms and he puts my head on his shoulders. I will never forget this moment with him as long as I'm able to live. And he carries me across the finish line in the most loving way in the world. And he says, of course, I'll be there. He goes, I'm your dad. I'm your dad, Joe, I'm your dad. And and I know for a lot of us in here, it's tough to hear that. A lot of us didn't have a daddy. And a lot of us hated our daddy. A lot of us saw our daddy split when we were little bitty kids out the back door of our house. But when he comes in through Scripture and he goes, I am your dad. You struggle with that, some of us. But this guy showed me a piece of film a while back, a little short clip of film of a of a runner named Dick Hoyt, a real man, a 59-year-old man who had a son named Rick who had cerebral palsy. Rick's 37. And Rick is severely, you know, he's just severely broken as a, as a lad. And he just never can walk or anything. He can't talk, but he's brilliant. And he gets on his little computer and he can actually spell by bumping the little modem with his knee and he spells one day, Dad. He said, could we run that 5K race and... and and maybe get some money to, to give to this kid down the street who's handicapped. And, and his daddy took the boy and he put him in a wheelchair and he pushed him through the town. And, and they and they crossed the finish line. And when they crossed the finish line, Rick was smiling as wide as Texas. And he went back to the computer and he goes, Dad. He goes, When I crossed that finish line, I didn't feel I didn't feel handicapped. He said that. And his daddy puts him in races all over the country because he wants this boy to experience victory. And, and he, the boy feels victory every time he crosses the finish line with his dad pushing him. And so in 99, he takes him to Hawaii. Some of you runners know the Iron Man. He wants that boy to win the Iron Man, the greatest race in the whole North American region. And he swims him a mile and a half through the, through the Pacific Ocean. And then he puts him on a bicycle. And he pedals him 112 miles through the hills of Hawaii. And then at night when all the other runners are finishing the race, he puts him on that wheelchair and he pushes that boy 26.2 miles to the finish line and in 16 hours and 18 minutes that dad crosses the finish line with that boy saying to me and probably everybody in here struggles with really experiencing and receiving the love of a father who God calls out from heaven I'm your dad I want to push you across the finish line because good dads want their kids to win the race that wheelchair is me honestly before a holy God that's me and that's a picture of God behind that wheelchair because on this cross I believe that God ran the most grueling race of his life to get you across the finish line because good daddies want their kids to win the race you guys can pick this cross up and hold it up here some of you guys I need ten guys to lift this cross up. As you all leave this place this morning, I'll just tell you one thing. You'll never see the cross the same way again. You'll see crosses on this campus, crosses on churches, crosses on Bibles. But you will never see the cross the same way again. Because for the rest of your life, every time you see a cross, you're going to see a piece of paper nailed to that cross. And you're always going to be able to say, that. It's my certificate of debt on that cross. That man died for me. That man died for me. And you're going to see one more thing that not many people see, but you're going to see blood trickling down across that cross because Hebrews 9:22 22 in Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so you'll see the perfect blood of Christ draining, given, spent for your debt. Completely, completely clean. I was in this auditorium coliseum with hundreds of students and I was talking about love that lasts for a lifetime you know love that lasts forever fulfillment in the sexual relationship and the intimacy of marriage and it was just an awesome night and just so many students had come up to that cross that night and then I'm walking back through the crowd and there's this precious teenage girl standing back there and Her frosted hair draped across her her shoulders, and she's just crying and crying. And I introduced myself. She said, I'm Amy. And I said, Amy, how can I help you? And she said, I want that. I want that kind of love. And I said, Amy, you can have that. And she goes, I can't have that. And I said, yes, you can, princess. Yes, you can. She said, man, Joe White, she goes, I'm sleeping my boyfriend back home. And she goes, if I stop giving him my sex, he tells me he'd never go out with me again. And I thought, God, what an awful trap for a little girl to get in. And I said, Amy, I said, when Christ takes your heart, Princess, He makes you completely virgin, pure, baby. He makes you the righteousness of Christ. It's what Scripture says. You literally become the righteousness of Christ. And she leaves that night. and she goes back to her little cabin we're at our camp and I'm praying for her the next two days I'm looking all over for camp because now I've adopted Amy into my heart and I can't find her and then the next to last day at our sports camp I'm on the football fields at night there's three crosses and about 150 students come down to those crosses and just get real with God and, and I'm talking and praying with so many students and then I turn you guys and so help me Amy standing right in front of me as I turn to go back to my cabin 10 30 at night and i said amy i said baby are you okay i've been looking everywhere for you and she said joe white i've been looking everywhere for you and i said amy are you are you okay and she tells me two words y'all that i'm never going to forget as long as i live she says joe i'm pure I'm pure. And I said, Amy, tell me about it. And she said, I went back that night to my cabin. She said, I gave my heart to Christ, Joe, and he made me pure. I know I am. And I wrote my boyfriend. I said, I'm never going there again until my honeymoon. I'm never going there again. I'm pure now. One more thing you'll see as we kind of wrap up here that nobody saw except Paul and Peter and James. And 5,000 martyrs who martyred every day for their faith in the Colosseum of Rome under Nero and Marcus Aurelius and Domitian, they saw it. They saw themselves not as Christians, because like America, everybody was calling themselves a Christian, it seems like. But they called themselves bondservants of Christ. A bondservant was a man who was set free, once a slave, but now set free. But he loved his master so much... But in freedom, He chained His heart back to His Master saying to Him, My love for You is greater than my freedom. It's greater than my independence or my pride. I want to be following You and chained to You in my heart all my life. Because it's like when you're saved, He's Savior. But when you're chained, He's Lord. It's different then. When you're saved, you're in church. And that's so important. But when you're chained, you're in love. When you're saved, you sing those hymns. But when you're chained, you live those hymns. When you're saved, you've got a Bible. But when you're chained, you've got a love letter from God. Everything changes. When you're saved, those Ten Commandments are like a duty. But when you're chained, the Ten Commandments are a delight, Just to please the One who died for you. It just changes everything. When you're saved, He's your Father. But when you're chained, He's your Dad. And so I was going to the Green Bay Packers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was praying about going to those two teams to to speak. And I said, God, what do I do? And that morning I woke up with this chain link in my mind. And, and I took these chain links in those two locker rooms before those games with the Cowboys. And, and I said, if you want to be a bondservant of Christ, if you want to stand in front of your whole team, and in fact, if you want to stand in front of the whole world, And come up here and get this chain link out of my hand and express to your teammates and your family and your future friends and everybody around you that you're going to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ for life. I ask you to come up here and get one of these out of my hands. And one by one, those men, those humble men, many of them crying their eyes out because for the first time so many of them realized that they did have a dad, that they do have a dad to play ball for on Sunday. And they came up and we just started hugging and embracing each other. And all over the countries, we travel to universities. I take one chain link for one man, for one woman, one boy, one girl, one student that would say before the world, Today I'm driving my steak. Today, Jesus Christ is going to be my life. I give it all to Him. I give Him my life. And while they play here for a second, I'm going to ask any man or woman. Who would stand up boldly in front of everybody he knows, every fraternity man, every sorority woman, and every family, and say, today's my day. I want to stake it down today. I give my life to Jesus. I invite you to come. The athletes take these links and they put them on their watch van. I keep mine on my keychain. Some of them put them on their cleats and they play ball. People live with them and I hear people are dying with them around the country. I went in for my blood test and uh, this precious uh, African American nurse that I've fallen in love with, this older lady, and uh, I held out my arms like I always do, and uh, she said, "How you doing?" And uh, I said, I'm doing good, I think. (laughs) If you tell me I'm doing good. And uh, I said, ain't God good? And she said, all the time. All the time. And then she said something to me that just, I needed it that day. She said, he knew we were going to fall. He knew we were going to fall. That's why he did that. Y'all, the most important day of a man's life or a woman's life is your wedding day with Jesus, and it is a wedding. I mean, I do weddings all the time, and it's awesome to watch the bride walk the aisle and just see a guy look at that girl and say, "I'm gonna, I'll do anything for you. I will literally die for you." Like my friend in inner city Boston, I get to work with city kids, and and there was a drive-by, and they came by and they put five bullets into this girl, but she was his bride. And this friend of mine dove across her lap, and he took all five bullets in his neck and his back for her. And fortunately, it didn't hit his spine at all. But, I mean, that's what a man does, a godly man, a man who's come forward and linked your heart to Christ. When you take that girl, you treat her like a homecoming queen. You just treat her like a child of God, and just your life together just gets better and better and better as you just lay down your life for each other. But today I want to do your wedding. As you came up here, I'm just adopting every one of you. I just wanted to just throw my arms around you and just tell you how proud I was of you. Because I know how hard it is on the university campus to follow Christ anymore. But I want to do your wedding right now. And for those of you who came up here, maybe it's even some of you who just, it's in your heart you came up here. I just want you to slip your heart up here. Just, Just advance your heart, because that's what God marries is your heart. The part of you, your soul, that lives forever. And He weds you. He's a bridegroom. Even as a man, He weds a bridegroom and a bride. It's an eternal marriage. And I want you to just close your eyes just for a minute. And go ahead and slip on, for men, that white tuxedo that represents purity and honor. And for a woman, go ahead and slip on that that white gown of righteousness, because he does give you the righteousness of Christ. Nothing less. Nothing less. And go ahead and slip your heart up here, dress for your eternal wedding. And there in the just the beauty of your spiritual imagination. Just look him in the eyes and express these vows because it is a wedding vow that you never cheat, you never, you never turn your back on the one you marry, never. And look him in the eyes and just say, "Dear Jesus, today I'm coming home." Just whisper it. Romans ten nine to ten says, "If you believe in your heart." When you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Because in your heart, righteousness comes, and with your mouth, salvation comes. So just whisper the prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, today I'm coming home. Tell Him, just say, Jesus, today I give you my heart. Just whisper that prayer. Just say, Jesus, today I give you my heart. I open up my life. Please come in. Holy Spirit, come into me. Fill me. And then say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. I give my life to you. Make me the person you want me to be. And Jesus, I just thank you for being there when I live and being there when I die. Thanks for teaching me how to love Debbie Joe and the kids and how to love every student that came forward today. Thank you for dying for us, that we might live. Walk with these students as they go back to their rooms and their houses to show the folks on that campus what it means to be a bondservant of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Students, tonight uh, at the Coliseum, the basketball team is going to join me. And the coaches, and uh, if, if, if God has been good due to you today, uh, when you go back home, would you just call somebody who needs this? If there's somebody of yours that's struggling right now, some girl who's just struggling, or some guy who just needs, you know, needs a relationship, would you call them and just bring them over there tonight? We'll be there at 8 o'clock tonight. I want to see that place full. God bless you all. I'll never forget you.